the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, 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 welcome to the show. This is Untethered Live on a Monday night. I am your host, Jake Johnson, and I will be with you for the hour, and we will uncover the mysteries of the unknown. We will unravel. We will peel back the pages of time and delve deep into the architect of the universe and some other some such nonsense that I can't think of right now. It'd be better if I planned this ahead of time, wouldn't it? Hey, what's happening, Caucasian? Good to see you, my friend. How are you? This is going to sound stupid, but I solved my sound conflict, and it fixed my echo knob. Well, that doesn't sound stupid. It sounds like you fixed a problem. But I can't hear you right now because I'm in the hot tub. Well, let's just pretend that uh, I'm saying interesting things and you are thoroughly enthralled in every word, hanging on to every syllable as I pound my knowledge into your brain. Pretend that that's what's going on. Since you can't hear me. Well, that's good because I'm about to send you a script. I want you to record something and send it back to me. And I want you to do it kind of with the Odin voice. Give me two or three different options. You know, just do the line three times, three different levels of whatever. And one that's got nothing. And send it back in the form of a, a wave or something. We'll figure it out. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. How are you doing? How are things? I've had a very, very long weekend very long. I worked all week to start with. I did four podcasts, three podcasts. I did uh, a show and a jam, which is basically a show because we played. And then uh, my bike broke down and I had to sit in the rain in the parking lot and fix it, tear it all apart and fix it, put it back together. And uh, worked on my computer. I bought a new power supply for my big bad boy Mac. Got it, installed it, and learned that that wasn't the issue. So now I've got to figure out what's wrong with it. It's not the power supply. I thought it was, but it's not. So that's bad. So that's money down the drain. Ready for scripture, says Diego. What's happening, brother? Well, I'm going to give it to you in just a couple minutes. How you doing? How are things where you are? How's the weather in Tennessee? Glad to see you, by the way. I don't know where my April's at. She'll be along directly, I reckon. 
Sorry, I'm just looking at my phone. Anyway, it's been a long weekend. Long whole week. Seven days of just go, 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 go. Oh, and I saw my son, and I went and fixed a wheelchair or something. I did something. I can't remember what it was. I think it was a wheelchair. It was just something every day and every night. But, and this is very important, tomorrow after work, I'm sleeping. And sleeping for a long time. I am glad you got your microphone fixed, though, Caucasian. That's a good thing. I got my microphone fixed also. I got a new one. It's bigger and deeper. I think it uh, captures more of the uh, essence of my voice. The other one was a little flat for my taste. It didn't really get the growls as this one does. So I like this one. Also, aside from the Sure, the big, I think it's a... Uh, M7 or whatever it is, the big one, you know, the very expensive Shure mic that Joe Rogan uses. Aside from that one, this is the best rated microphone as far as I can tell. So this is number two. That one's number one. This one's number two. And the other one that I had was a number three or four. So it's good, though. I think I've tested it, but I'm going to try something new tomorrow. All right. Well, I'll be looking forward to seeing that. I didn't see you put out anything today, but I'll check it. I'll go back and look. I'm just shooting the breeze with my buddies until everybody rolls in, and then we'll get started on some Genesis. Oh, what is it? It is 12-1. That's where we're starting today. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. And this will be the fifth episode that goes up all over the world. And I'm excited about that. In case you haven't heard about that, I'll give you a brief synopsis now. As of uh, two weeks ago, now you can go anywhere podcasts are sold or downloaded and you can find Untethered Live, free of charge, mostly audio only. There are a few places that have video, like Spotify has video, so you'll get to see it there. Uh, I think Amazon Prime also does video, but it's on Amazon Prime. It's on Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, iTunes. You can download it on iTunes for free. Uh, CastBox. What else? Let's see. I'll, I'll tell you real quick. Got to pull up the window. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Overcast, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, CastBox. Pocket Casts, Radio Republic, and uh, I can't figure out how to get it on Stitcher, so I hadn't even worried about it. Stitcher's like ridiculous in their requirements, so I didn't even bother. War with Satan, I'm with Jake, with my Lord. Well, I'm with your Lord, so you're with me, buddy. And that war with Satan ain't much of a war. I've got a book that tells the ending of the story, and I read it already, and I already know how it works out. So if you want to know, just keep paying attention, and I'll tell you. But here's a clue. Here's a spoiler. We win. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. We win. 
And that is how it goes. He tries. It just ain't going to work out. I've got jury duty next week. So I'm sort of mucking with shorts and things. Okay. I haven't been scheduling shows. Well, if you want to get out of jury duty, just say some outlandish garbage and say you think he's guilty right off the bat. And they won't pick you. I can't be objective because I think he's guilty. Out the door you go. Or whatever the uh, whatever the case is, pretend to have personal experience with something just like it, and they'll throw you out. Like be uh, jaded because of something you went through. That's just like whatever they're talking about. I'm not telling you to lie. I'm just telling you that, you know, jury duty sucks. I don't want to do jury duty. I'm sure you can find something in your life that fits the bill. Hmm. Let me text April. There it goes. Let's see how long it takes them to show up. In the jungle, the mighty jungle, the Jake sleeps tonight. Tomorrow night. What have you been doing, Diego? You been staying out of trouble, my friend? Or you been getting into it? I've had a busy week, but it's a good week. Good, good, good. Winter time is coming. It's been cold the past two days. A lot colder than it has been. You can definitely tell that the season is changing. <laughs> One day it was summer. The next day it was freezing and wet. It's been raining a lot. And I think we got a hurricane off the coast somewhere trying to invade our territory. Well, all right. It's 841. I'll give it two more minutes and we'll get started. Caucasian, you enjoying that hot tub? I wish I had a hot tub. I'd be in it. We'd be doing a live stream from the hot tub. And I'd have a rubber ducky. And a cigar. Here I need 10 million short views to get paid. So only 10 million to go. <laughs> Is that what they say? You got to have 10 million? Well, I need to keep making cat videos in because I've been getting about 2K videos per uh, 2K views per cat video. They're not all 2K, but a lot of them are. Some of them are 1.5. 1K, a couple of them are like 850, whatever. Cat videos is where it's at. That's my secret weapon. I draw them in 
We broke 200, by the way. There's another piece of good news I forgot to, to celebrate. We broke 200. We are 200-plus subscribers. We only need 100 more, and we can move this thing to Rumble, where it's free. Something like that. Yep. The cat videos and uh, the little shorts that I do before shows seem to be doing well. I dropped a 3K ambulance short. Cool. That's excellent. I'm proud for you. I'm glad. Galadriel. I am. I think I'm going to do a Lord of the Rings parody with my cats. Wonder if that would be interesting. They're feral cats, so getting them to do anything is kind of hard to do. But, wait, do I qualify for Rumble? Yes. Here's the thing, though. I want to bring what I've accrued in YouTube with me to Rumble. I want to bring all my subscribers. And the only way you can do that is to have 300-plus subscribers, and then they'll copy your whole setup over to Rumble. Or I could just go over there and start using it. I've already got an account. I could start using it today. But I want to bring YouTube with me. You know what I'm saying? So you need 300 subscribers for that. But you could go use Rumble right now, I think. I'm pretty sure you can. And start building a crowd over there. I want to bring my YouTube crowd with me. And then I'll have a jumping off point where I can start building a crowd over there. But already have a crowd here. Because my, my videos are getting lots and lots of views. More than they did. 300, 300 YouTube subs, yes. And if you have that, you can transfer all of your subs over to Rumble. They'll they'll copy it for you over to your account. So I think you're already there, right? I think it's 300. Check me on that, but I'm pretty sure it is. Apparently, 200 is the magic number where they start paying attention because this week we broke 200 and I had a video removed and I've been copyright striked already for that song I sang for you last last podcast. I got copyright striked for the river. They said it was a uh, American Idol performance. I was like, no, no, it isn't. <laughs> Whatever. All right, who all's here is here, I reckon. I'm going to get started. Let's go down, shall we? Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Here we are, baby. And we got the book. If you got your Bibles handy, crack them open to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. That's where we're going to start. That's where we left off, and that's where we're going to start. And now we are just entering into the relationship God had with Abraham, which originally was named Abram before the Lord changed something in the man and gave him the breath of life, which is the sound in his name. He did the same with Sarai, changed her name to Sarah, putting the H in the name. 
There is some significance to that. I'm not exactly sure why he does that, but he does do that occasionally. So, let's delve into the story of Abraham and see what journey he goes on to. Now, a quick preamble. Abraham is basically the modern-day equivalent of Abraham would be a basement dweller. Somebody sitting in their basement playing video games all day. He was 80 years old and lived in his mama's tent. He didn't go anywhere. He didn't do anything. He was a homeboy. He was a mama's boy. And then God called him to adventure and ended up going all the way across country through the land of the Canaanites to his ultimate destination. And along the way, he had quite the adventure, which we're going to read about here in the next few chapters. But Abraham was uh, not a very ambitious man to begin with. So that's just more proof that God picks all kinds to do his work, including the least expected. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Don't worry about where you're going now. I'll tell you while you're on the way. Just get up and leave. Get out of your mama's house. Hey, truth be told, audit, audits, what's happening? Good to see you. Oh, I see how it is. Say hey to my guests, but don't say hey to me. <laughs> Just teasing. Welcome. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great. I'll have to change it a little. Abram ain't quite working for me, but I'll let you know how it goes. And thou shalt be a blessing. Not just, not just God blessing Abram, but he will himself be a blessing to those who come in contact with him. So that's important to understand about Abram. Not only will he be blessed by God and made a great nation and have a great name that lasts 2,000 years to present day, we're still talking about the man, but every person that came in contact with Abram and every person who is a result of his seed also is blessed. That includes you. I would imagine you are of the seed of Abraham. I don't know that for sure, but I'd say it's a pretty safe bet considering his offspring were more than the stars in the sky or the sand sand grains on a beach of all the beaches in the world, actually. Glad to hear it, truth be told. How you doing today? Hope everything is well with you. I hope you enjoy the read. Sit back, put your seats in the upright position and lock your trays. Put on your seatbelt and enjoy the ride. Here we go. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee. If you bless Abraham, God blesses you. That's how it works. Hey, Kevin Cox, what's happening, my brother? It is my 60th birthday, and I am out to dinner with April Darlene, Sonny, Devin at Red Lobster. Well, Kevin, from the bottom of my heart, my friend, happy birthday. I wish I was there to celebrate with you. I love you. I hope you have a fantastic day. I hope everything goes your way. And I hope you have many, 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 many more blessings. 
but that don't get you out of Bible study, so hang around. Eat some lobster while you're paying attention to the show. I wish I had some lobster. That sounds delicious. Man, happy birthday. I wish I knew. Why didn't you tell me it was coming? I'd have done something special for you. I didn't know. Anyway, tell April and Darlene and Sonny and Devin I said hello and I love them and I miss them and I wish they would come hang out with me more often. We're in the book of Genesis 12, 3 at the moment. And God is telling Abraham that I will bless you and anybody else that blesses you, I will bless them too. And curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, how many families is that? Is that some of them? Is that certain bloodlines? No. The word here, and it's very emphatic. It's indefatigable. All families of the earth will be blessed because of Abraham, because of his existence, because of his obedience to God. All families are blessed. That's you, by the way. <clears throat> so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. Lot is his cousin. Or nephew, I can't remember which. And Abram was 70 and 5 years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, that would be his nephew. I got it wrong. It's not his cousin, it's his nephew. There you go. And all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. That means their slaves or their servants. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came. It's odd that they did that while they were in Canaan. They could have done that anywhere. And Abram passed through the land into the place of Shechem unto the plain of Moreh. And the Canaanite was then in the land. Canaanite is descendants of Canaan, not Cain. Make sure you make that distinction in your mind. Canaanites are not descendants of Cain. Kenites are descendants of Cain. Canaanites are descendants of Canaan, just so you know. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. So God actually physically came down and spoke with Abram. In what form, I don't know. I would guess probably the archangel Gabriel, because Gabriel has the face of God. And what that means is, whenever you hear God's voice audibly or see a form that is God visually, it is the angel Gabriel, archangel. That's his appointment. That's his job. You can read about that in the book of Enoch. And the reason he does that is because God doesn't have a form that you can see or a voice that you can hear. He is pure energy, I would imagine. That's my guess, but it's a good educated guess. But if you were to witness God, it would probably kill you dead. So he has an avatar that he uses, and that's the angel Gabriel. I hope that makes sense. And there, Abram built an altar and worshipped his God. 
probably sacrificed also. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and high on the east. And there he builded an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. He's calling for God to come back and hang with him some more. I would imagine that if you had an encounter with God, you would probably want to do that again very soon. That's kind of what Abram's going through right now. Missing uh, physical connection with his father. And Abram journeyed, going on still towards the south. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was grievous in the land. They were starving to death everywhere. And it came to pass. I lost my place. Thanks, Jake Sasquatch. Truth. You're welcome, sir. Happy birthday. I really wish I'd have knew it was your birthday. I would have done a whole festive thing for you. You'll just have to take God's word as my gift to you and enjoy. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai, his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art fair, woman, to look upon. I know you're a hottie. You're a little old, but old chicks were banging back then, so. I know you're a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will save thee alive. They'll kill me to get you. Now, I don't know why Abram does this. This, to me, smells beta all the way around. This is a cuck move if ever there was one. I am not excusing it. I'm just reporting it. That's what the book says he did. Don't come back at me and say, well, that's not Abram doing or that, 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 or there's a, that's not a godly man or whatever you got to say. Just keep it because I didn't write it. I'm just reporting it. I wouldn't do this, but there obviously is a reason for his subterfuge. I think this is my opinion I think this was a plan from the get-go. I think Abram was doing some thinking here, doing some calculating, because it turns out that because he does this, it puts him in a perfect position to take over and gain lots and lots of property from the Egyptians and from a couple of other people by doing the same thing in other lands. And he ends up being very rich because of this one little fib. So I think that this was a... Um, calculated move on his part and we just don't understand it today because it, the way it reads it sounds like he's being a coward I don't think that's the case though but I'll leave that up to you to decide what you think because ultimately it's up to you your opinion of how you how you take this but my opinion is he was thinking watch see how it works out Say, I pray thee that thou art my sister instead, he says. Tell them you're my sister. That way they don't kill me and take you and rape you and all that good stuff. Turns out that's not going to happen, but he might have thought it was. Who knows? But remember, this is his first time out of his own country. He's in a foreign land. He is out of his element. 
So that may be fear talking. I don't know. That it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Your telling a lie and not, not claiming to be my wife will save my life, and you will be the cause of that. Okay. And it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. Mm, mm, mm. Look at the yams on Sarah. Gots to get me some of that, says the Pharaoh. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. Hey, Pharaoh, check this chick out. Don't you want another wife? Here's a good one. She's only 80 years old and she's looking hot. All right. I know you're thinking, Bleh. remember, these people lived hundreds of years. So 80 to her would be like 20 to us. Because when you live longer, you also develop slower. Because life is still life. You still grow old and die. You just grow old slower when you live longer. So it could very well be that her 80s, she looked like a teeny bopper. Who knows? not very clear but that's my head cannon. i want to think that because if they were salivating over an 80 year old woman pickens must have been slim in those days is all i'm saying the princes of pharaoh also saw her and commended her before the pharaoh and the woman was taken into pharaoh's house i guess abram had an idea he knew that was coming and he entreated abram well for her sake and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. The Pharaoh is trying to buy Sarai from Abram. He's given him all these gifts. He's got now he's got sheep and ox and asses and, and slaves, both male and female, and camels. Now Abram is rich because that was money in those days. All because Pharaoh desired his wife. Only he didn't know he was she was his wife. Pharaoh is not an unhonorable man, by the way. And when he finds out, he is much dismayed over the subject. Because in those days, if you took another man's wife, you might as well be chopped your head off, you know. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with a great plague because of Sarai, Abram's wife. The Lord is punishing Pharaoh for be, being desirous. Now, keep in mind, they haven't done anything. Pharaoh has not slept with Sarai. He's just wooing her. He's trying to get her into his harem. And she's just playing bashful and pretending to be Abram's sister. Meanwhile, Abram is racking up Mulah. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. The Pharaoh says, Why did you do this to me? I could have slept with her, and if I'd have done that, it would have condemned my soul. Look, God is already punishing me for just wanting her. Why did you do this? Look. Take your wife, sister, and get out. By the way, I would like to make a small caveat here. 
Sarai is, in fact, Abram's half-sister. You'll find this out when we read about Abram's father later on. Sarai, in fact, is his half-sister. So he's not lying here. This is not a lie. This is an omission. <clears throat> I know it's dishonest, it's deceitful, but it's not actually a lie. He actually is her brother by marriage. Gross, I know, but it was not illegal in those days. Nor was it looked down upon because we had to fill up the earth somehow. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. He got to keep all of the asses and the goats and the sheep and the manservants and maidservants and camels. So he just racked up by that little subterfuge. You see what I'm saying? And he still has his wife. And he's a free man. Pharaoh could have killed him or put him in prison, or worse, but he didn't. He sent him his way. And obviously God stopped punishing Pharaoh after they left. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was a very rich in cattle, in silver and in gold. They didn't mention that part, but clearly there was money transferred also. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning. So he made a complete circle all the way back around to where he started. Between Bethel and High, unto the place of the altar which he had made, which he had make there at first, which he made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. So now their company is getting bigger. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great. In other words, there wasn't enough grass to feed all of the animals, so they had to separate. He would live over here and Lot would live over there. They still cared for each other. They just couldn't stay together because all of their stuff was taking up all of the land. There wasn't enough resources for everybody. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abraham's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzites dwelled then in the land. Apparently there was a scuffle, so they had to separate those two. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen, for we are brothers, or brethren. Well, yeah. Actually, you're not. You're your uh, uncle and nephew, but kinfolk nonetheless. So Abram is pleading with Lot, look, I know our, our, our hands had a little squabble and they've been fighting, but let us not fight. Let us not get involved in that. We, we are above that. We're, we're brothers. So let us stay above this anger. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the, land, the left hand, then I will go to the right and if thou depart to the right hand, I will go to the left. In other words, it doesn't matter where you go. I'll go the other way and we'll stay separate. That way your people can have every 
resource that you find, and my people can have every resource that we find, and there will be no more problems. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. It was as beautiful as the garden of Eden, even. So obviously Lot chose to go that direction, which is to the right, by the way. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. The Lot and Lot journeyed east. And they separated themselves one from another. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. All right, if you can picture this, Sodom and Gomorrah is right up, right up front of them. And then there's the Jordan River that comes through. Lot goes to the right and takes that land, and Abram goes to the left and takes that land, which is in the land of Canaan. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, which is on that side towards Sodom pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. They were all homos. What? Sapiens. Yes. And the Lord said unto Abram, After that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. To this very day, all of that land belongs to Abram's seed. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered, which it can't be done. You cannot you can make a guess. You can make a roundabout guess as to how many particles of dust is in the earth. But you won't be correct because there's even more than that. And dust is caused by flaking dead skin for the most part. So, you know, it's an ever-growing number. It will never, ever stop accumulating. So what you, what God is saying here is that I will make your family like dust. It will always grow. It will always continue to propagate throughout the world. And there will be so many you can't number them. Arise. Walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it. For I will give it unto thee. That's a lot of walking, folks. A lot of walking. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Chedorlomer, 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 Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations the other places, whatever, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, 
Shinab, king of Adma, and Shimabur, king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, which is in Zor. All these were joined together in the Vale of Siddim, which is the Salt Sea. If you know where the Salt Sea is, then you know where the Vale of Siddim is. And all of these people joined together here to talk. These are the generals of their prospective armies, I would imagine, and they're all talking about how they're going to fight this war that is between all these kings. Twelve years they served Chidorlomer, whatever that word is. And in the thirteenth year they rebelled. And in the fourteenth year came Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with him and smote the Rephiams in Ashtaroth, Karnaim. Now what is a Rephium? A Rephium means the dead ones or the walking dead or the lost ones. Somewhere in there. They're, they're uh, not necessarily people. And the Zuzims and Ham. Ham is set up by Ham, Noah's son. And the Emons in Shiva. Kirathame. And the Horites in their Mount Seir. Unto... Elparan, which is by the wilderness. Wilderness in this context means desert, not woods, just so you know. And they returned and came to Inmishpat, Inmishpat, which is Kadesh. Why didn't they just call it Kadesh? And smote all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites that dwelt in Hezez, Hezezon, Tamar, Hezezan Tamar. Man, these names. Hezezan Tamar. And there went out the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, the same as Zor. And they joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim, or the Salt Sea, with Chedor Laomer, the king of Elam. And with Tadal, king of nations, the other places. And Amraphel, king of Shinar. And Arioch, king of Elisar. Four kings with five. That's uh, nine kings joining together to battle the, the bad guys or good guys. However you look at it, whichever side you're on. And the Vale of Saddam was full of of slime pits and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there and they that remained fled to the mountain so they didn't fare very well in that battle and they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all the victuals and went their way victual is like food and water and provisions and toiletries and those little bars of soap and the little candies that ever you know what I'm talking about victuals <laughs> and they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. So now Lot is being held captive. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew. For he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, 
the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, and brother of Aner. And these were confederate with Abram. In other words, they were simpatico. They were on the same side as Abram, whatever side that was. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. Dan being the location of the uh, tribe of Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them and pursued them to Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. Damascus being that faithful place where Paul saw Jesus on the road towards Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought back again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. So he freed everybody that was held captive. That's pretty good, pretty brave there, Abram. Way to be a hero. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedor Laomer. I wonder if that's Kador Laomer. I'll have to look up that word and see how you actually pronounce it. And of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva, which is the king's dale or the place where the kings sleep. Oh. Here's a good name. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. And he was the priest of the Most High God. Melchizedek is a congruation of two words, Mecca and Zadok. Mecca, of course, means place of peace. And Zadok means anointed by God or the anointed one. Sound familiar to you? Does that name ring any bells? King of peace? Anointed by God? In the land of Salem, which is Salam, which means peace? Think about that for a minute. Just let that wash over your brain for a second. This person's title is King Melchizedek. Of Salem, that is, king of the land of peace, anointed by God the Most High. That title sounds a lot like Emmanuel, which means God with us, or Yeshua, which means anointed by God. You, you, are you following me? This man only mentioned maybe twice in the Bible. Very short, brief period is he mentioned. He was a high priest and he had an order that other people worshipped under. Abraham worshipped under the order of Melchizedek. Jesus talked about that order as if to say he was learning or he propagated that same teaching. So it's very possible that this man, Melchizedek, is actually Jesus Christ or a type for Jesus Christ in another form, much like Adam was, much like Joshua was, much like this man is, on and on and on. So it's very interesting, this guy. His name says it all, and where he's from says it all. 
And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. That's our father, by the way. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Abraham tithed to this Melchizedek. <laughs> that ought to tell you something. That's 10% of everything he had he gave to Melchizedek. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. Just leave the slaves with me. You can have the stuff, but I need my people back. Hmm. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even a shoe latchet. That means no. And that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. I'm not taking any of your stuff because you'll just turn around and tell everybody that I'm rich because of you. You'll take the credit for my fame. So no, I don't want any of your stuff, save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre, let them take their portion. They can have the stuff that they want, and they can go. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. God says, don't be afraid, Abram. Whatever you do, go do it with confidence because I will be shielding you and you have a great reward because of your loyalty to me. That's pretty powerful. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I have, seeing I go childless? In other words, God, I have everything I want except a kid, what are you going to do about that? You know, my wife can't have babies, and I'm getting on up there in age. So, you know, now's the time if it's going to happen. And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Heir. In other words, if you don't give me a kid, I'm going to have to give my inheritance to this servant's child, Eliezer of Damascus, or his child. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. I'm not going to make you do that. I'll give you a kid. But he that comes forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. You will have a kid. I know you're getting on up there in age. You're 90 years old now. But trust me, I'll make it happen. The fireworks are about to start, buddy. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now towards the heaven, or towards heaven, and tell the stars. If thou be able to number them, 
he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. God is again telling Abraham that you're going to have so many kids, you won't know what to do with them all. You'll never be able to pay all the child support, ever. You're going to have lots and lots of children. And Abram's like, I'm 90 years old. I doubt I'm going to have one kid. And he does have one kid. But from that one kid comes many, 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 many generations. And he believed in the Lord. And he counted it to him for righteousness. In other words, believing what God tells you by virtue of that belief, you are righteous in that area. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? <laughs> Prove it to me, God. How, how am I supposed to get all of this? Obviously, it's already taken. Obviously, people already have it. How is it going to be mine? And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. So each animal he cut in half and laid them like so, one on each side, like that. Basically just divided them down the middle and opened them up. This is symbolic, by the way, of the valley of the shadow of death. You ever heard that expression? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no, fear no evil, for the Lord is my shepherd, blah, 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 blah. This is called the Hebrew blood covenant. This is a ritual that makes a promise you cannot break. And this is the beginning or the inspiration for that ritual. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. In other words, he wouldn't even let the birds eat the carcasses that he had laid out in this manner. Like a walkway between two heaps of dead flesh, if that makes any sense. It's weird, I know, but the Hebrews did things a little differently. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. Well, that does happen later on, by the way, when the Hebrews leave Egypt. But for 400 years they were slaves. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. It's not, it's not as bad as it's going to get for the Amorites. All right, so let me see if I can make some sense of that. 
this is a premonition of what's to come. And this dark spirit is telling Abraham how his family is going to grow and become a great nation. But then they're going to be captive, held captive by Egypt. For 400 years, they'll be slaves. But in the end, Egypt will be judged. And those people will come out of Egypt with great substance. They will be rich beyond their wildest dreams when they leave as free people. And then Abraham will die and be buried in a good old age. He's not going to die yet. He's about 90 years old now, but he ain't ready to go just yet. But that fourth generation shall come back again because the Amorites need to be taken care of. Now, this is a premonition and a prophecy because later on down the road, God is going to tell certain people who are descendants of Abraham, go over there and kill every living thing, man, woman, child, and animal. Don't leave nothing alive because their, their sin is unforgivable. Uh, they are corrupted beyond saving. So they need to be gone. And that does come to pass. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces of flesh. Remember, he laid them out like a walkway, one on each side, one half of the animal on each side. And then this furnace went through the midst of it, through the valley of the shadow of death, and made that promise a covenant that cannot be broken. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenites, who are descendants of Cain, by the way, not the Canaanites, the Kenites are the descendants of Cain. They are of their father, the devil, mentioned by Jesus when speaking to one. And the Kenizzites, and the Cadmonites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Raphiums, which means the dead ones, or the, the lost ones, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Aha! I knew there was something about them people. I knew that's where they came from. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. You know, like Sammy Hagar. And she couldn't drive 65. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my handmaid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. Thus being the first surrogate family. And Abram, of course, hearkened to the voice of Sarai. A chance to bang a young hot Egyptian? You betcha. That's where he did. Hey, I got permission from my wife. Let's get it on. Bow, 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 bow. He walked in, he opened the tent and said, I've been really trying, baby trying for so long to have a child and my wife gave me permission so let's rock and roll and Sarai his wife took Hagar her handmaid the Egyptian 
after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, thus being his second wife. Now he has a wife named Sarai and a wife named Hagar, and Sarai can't stand it, even though she's the one who came up with this idea. Just like a woman, right? Well, unfortunately, when you can't have children and you see your husband banging his other wife and they're bearing children left and right, it's going to get under your skin as it does her. <coughs> he went in unto Hagar. In other words, they banged and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Yeah. Well, see, the thing is, like I said, when you give another woman to your husband in hopes that you have a child and then it works, it's going to make you hot under the collar because sex, believe it or not, is attached to emotions. That's why it's not good to go sleeping around and having sex with all kinds of partners because it has a toll and it takes it out on your soul. One way or the other, it's never a good thing. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. Well, it's not that serious. Calm down, Sarai. I still love you. And we have a child, so that's what you wanted, right? Women often want something until they get it, and then they don't want it. That's just the nature of the female. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy, hand thy handmaid is thine hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. In other words... Here she is. If you want to beat the hell out of her, do it. If you want to bless her, do it. If you want to, you know, maybe do a three-way, I'm game. I'm just saying. But, and when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Well, I don't blame her. You're the one that told me to do this, and now you're coming down on me because of it? You're going to get mad at me for doing what you asked me to do? I'm your servant. I'm supposed to do what you tell me to do. Well, that's just the way it is. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way of sure, in the way to sure. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou? Where'd you come from? And whither wilt thou go? Where did you come from and where are you going? Said the cotton eye joke. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Better cotton eye joke. Anyway, and she said, I flee, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai, because she beat the heck out of me for doing what she told me to do. And the angel of the Lord, which is Gabriel, by the way, said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself unto her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitudes. 
this is a little bit vindictive, but what he's telling her to do is don't run away. Go back and submit yourself as you should, a good servant should, and she'll see the error of her ways, and when she says, I'm sorry, you'll just start popping out babies left and right, and it will drive her crazy, and we'll have revenge. Mm. I don't know if that's exactly what he meant by that, but that's how I'm reading it. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. Interesting. There were two children born in this union, one by Hagar and one by Sarai. You understand? Ishmael and Isaac. Now, Ishmael grows up, he gets kicked out, kind of abandoned by Abram because it's not Sarai's child and she just can't live with it, so they give them up. And Ishmael ends up starting the religion known as Islam today. That came from Ishmael and his learning from whatever his life brought him up to know formed the Islamic tradition. Isaac, through him would come what we now call the Christian faith or the Orthodox Jewish way of thinking about things came from Isaac and whatever his life brought him up to know. And his um, influences. So from this family, we have two of the greatest world's religions coming out of the same union. It's interesting that, but that's how it works. So is Islam wrong? No, not really. They worship the same God we do. The only major difference between their religion and ours, there are a bunch of minor differences, but the major difference is there's no Jesus in Islam. However, they do see him as a prophet of God and a holy man, and they do reverence him way more than we do, by the way. They don't mention his name without saying, Peace be unto Jesus, because they reverence that man. And in that culture, that's a big high praise, Peace be unto you. They don't just say that to anybody unless they respect you. So they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, but they believe he's working for him. So they're not far off. The rest of it is all cultural, by the way. It isn't really anything to do with salvation. It's all cultural stuff in that religion, not in the truth, which is God Almighty created everything. And they do believe that. talking about Ishmael and he will be a wild man and his hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him sound familiar and he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren sound familiar that's how the Islamic faith actually acts so it's not far off and she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Birla Heroi. Birla Heroi. Her, her, heroi. Birla Heroi. What a word. 
Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered, therefore, Birla Heroi. And Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old. That's 86. I was close. I said 90. He's 86. And when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram, and when Abram was 90 years old, and 99 years old, almost 100, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. That's a tall order, by the way. I don't know that any of us can do that, but he told Abram to. I am the God Almighty that you speak of. Walk before me and be perfect, and I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. Abram's almost a 100 years old going, well, you know, get on with it, Lord, because I ain't getting any younger. I ain't no spring chicken. I don't think I'm going to be pregnant my wife. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. That H is very important. It's the breath of God significant of that. And when God adds that H into your name, you have blessings abounding. Believe that. I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. I will be your God and you will be my people, says God. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen, that's why we're here today because that's what the purpose of life is. God wants to be your God, and he wants you to be his people. That's what he's always wanted. That's the reason we were created in the first place. That's what God wants, your free will decision to be God's people, to willingly worship your father, to love him, to revere him, to worship him. And he will be your God if you will just do that. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. You'll keep my promise, and I'll keep my promise, and it'll last forever. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. That's what I want you to do forever. Circumcise your children. That means the 
cut off the little foreskin on your penis. Snip. Why? Because you can't undo it. Because it's a permanent mark. It's something you'll never forget. It's right there in your vision all the days of your life. And nobody can see it but you. Sounds uh, a little weird, but that's what he asked. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and thee. Or me and you. That token. A thing that you'll never forget. You can't forget it. It's right there. Every time you look at it, there it is. Oh yeah, I have a promise with God. It's not like writing it on your hand. This is something you can't ignore. You can't look away. You can't pretend it didn't happen. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man child in your generations, he that is born in the house or brought, bought with money of a stranger, even if you buy the child, on his eighth day you circumcise him, which is not of thy seed. If you buy the child, he becomes your seed. So circumcise him. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. It's weird, but God is serious about it, and he means it. You get circumcised, you're part of that covenant. Now, later on, when Jesus comes, and Paul and all that after the death of Jesus, it becomes relevant for Gentiles who are not of that bloodline to be circumcised of the heart, not of the flesh, because it doesn't really matter whether you do it or not anymore. At that point, what matters is that you believe in that promise. Jesus changed that very thing about the covenant from having to prove it to just believing it, if that makes any sense. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. That's not a good place to be. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. Therefore, adding the H, the breath of life, into her name as well, making her abundantly blessed. And from that moment, her womb opened up. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. And then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is an hundred years old? Abraham thinks this is funny. God's telling him all these things, and Abraham is busting at the seams. There's no way. I'm a hundred years old. My wife is probably older. I don't, I don't know how old she is. Uh, oh, she's 90 years old. 
So he's 100 and she's 90. She's 10 years younger than him, but they're both advanced in age, and we're going to have babies now? I've waited all this time, and now we're going to have babies? I don't think so, says Abraham. Well, this is disobedience. Does God punish Abraham for his disobedience, as he does with other people before? Well, let's see. And shall Sarah, that is 90 years old, get pregnant? There's no way. Abraham doesn't know God, apparently. And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. That's a little different than what he said the first time. Kind of cutting Abraham out of that a little bit. Is that a punishment? I don't know. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he begat and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time next year. So next year, when you are 100 years old, because you made fun of it, I'll wait till you're 100. He's 99 right now. I'll wait till you're 100, and then you, she'll get pregnant. And he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So that's the end of the conversation. God didn't even hang around. So God's a little pissed with him, but... I guess you can understand it. He did not get a punishment for his disobedience. Nor did uh, Mary when she asked, How are you going to impregnate me, God? Why did you pick me? Same thing. I guess God is understanding of their dismay. They're not quite understanding that this can actually happen. And it happened, it does. And Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all that were born in his house, and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins in the selfsame day, as God had said unto him. So, if nothing else, Abraham is obedient and prompt. And I'm willing to bet that everybody in that house said, you're going to do what now? Hold on, let's talk about this for a minute. <laughs> and Abraham was 90 years old, 90 and 90 years old and nine. He was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And I bet that was painful. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he got circumcised. So is it too late for you to get circumcised? No, it's not. But I would probably make sure you're of that bloodline before you did it. Because if you're not, it doesn't really matter. If you are of that bloodline, you probably need to be circumcised. In the selfsame day was Abraham circumcised and Ishmael his son. 
and all the men of his house, born in the house and bought with money of the stranger, were circumcised with him. So for a couple of weeks after this day, there were some miserable folks is what I'm telling you. That was a miserable household for a while. They'll get over it, though. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of memory. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lift up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw, when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself towards the ground. He knew who they were and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray thee, or I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do. And thou hast said. Abraham is basically saying here, Hey, 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 I know who you are. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Let me go get some water and some food, and I'll wash your feet and feed you, and we'll sit and talk for a while under the tree and rest and be comfortable and be happy. I'll take care of you. I'm a good host. I've been circumcised. I washed my hands. Chill out. And the angels who they are, said, so do. Go ahead. We'll hang out for a while. And Abraham hastened into the tent under Sarah and said, hey, go do all the stuff I just told them I'd do. <laughs> make ready a quick three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes upon the hearth. Make some cornbread and some chicken. Come on, let's go. And Abraham ran unto the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto a young man and hastened he dress it. In other words, they did it quickly. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree and they did eat. It's a good meal. That's a good meal. I've had many meals like that. It is refreshing to the soul to sit down at a table with black-eyed peas and cornbread and sliced tomatoes and fried chicken and okra, my favorite meal, and some sweet iced tea. Can you tell I'm from Georgia? I think you can. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah, thy wife? And he said, She's in there washing dishes. Where do you think she's at? <laughs> That's not what he said. He said, Behold, in the tent. Washing dishes. Where do you think she's at? And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of a woman. In other words, she no longer had her period. She's already long into menopause. That's what that means. When you're not supposed to be able to get pregnant anymore, they're already into that age is what this is saying. She no longer has the womanly stuff happening. 
Her time has come and gone. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my lord, being old also? Shall I have sex with this old man now, after all this time? I'm too old for this garbage. And the Lord said unto Abram, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. The answer is no. At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Yes, you did. Sarah chuckled because the Lord said she was going to get pregnant. And then the Lord caught her on it and said, Hey, what are you laughing about? She said, I didn't laugh. He said, Oh, yes, you did. I heard you. Let me make something very abundantly clear to you, young lady. I'm going to come back here in one year. And in one year, when I return, you will have a son here with you. Because I said so. So you can laugh all you want, but you're going to learn to listen to God. Because when I make a proclamation, it happens. The first time I said, let there be, all of this occurred. You think I can't put a child in your belly? This is paraphrasing, obviously, but that's kind of the mentality and the emotions that are going on here. <laughs> and the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. In other words, he walked them out. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Hmm, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Here God is saying, I know Abraham. I know his personality. He'll do exactly what I want him to do because he is a man of loyalty and honor and he is obedient. And when I tell him to do something, he'll do it. So I don't have to hide that little thing that I do. I'll tell him what's going to happen and he'll obey. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. What is the crying about? Well, Sodom and Gomorrah, obviously Sodom is where we get the word sodomy. And Gomorrah is where we get the word goram. <laughs> That's a uh, firefly joke, folks. Anyway, my point is, is they were doing some pretty heinous things. They were wicked. They were gang-like. 
They were passing babies through fire. They were committing adultery and homo hom homosexual acts. They were committing bestiality. They were doing some pretty gruesome things. They were rapists. They were murderers. They were bad folks in Sodom and Gomorrah. This was not a good place to be. And God caught wind of the crying of people, of their victims. And he said, I'm going to go down now and check it out, see for myself. If it's as bad as I think it is, I'll know what to do. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abram stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Remember, Lot lives in Sodom. Lot is his nephew. And he lives right over there. And so Abraham is inquiring of God. Are you going to kill everybody there, even the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham is getting a little cocky here, but he's wrong. He's right. He's not wrong. He's asking God, if there are 50 men in there that are good men, are you going to destroy the lot of them because of that wickedness that the other people are doing? Or will you save the 50? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 men that are righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. God's not an unfair God. If there are 50 men in that whole place worth saving, I'll save the whole place for their sake. And Abram answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. I may have spoken out of turn, but I might as well get while I'm getting's good, he says, which am but dust and ashes. And that's correct. In other words, what he's saying is, I don't mean to overstep my line. I don't mean to speak out of turn. But since we're talking and you're being receptive, I'm going to push a little bit. Peradventure. There shall lack five of the 50 righteous. So if there are 45 men, wilt thou destroy all the city for the lack of five? And he said, if I find 45, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, um, peradventure, there shall be 40 found there. And he said, I will not do it for the 40's sake. And he said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Please don't get mad, Lord. But, uh, you know, um, peradventure, if there were 30 found there, and he said, I would not do it if I find 30 there. And he's starting to get a little braver now, and he says, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure. There shall be 20 found there. And God says, dude, if I find 20 men that are righteous, I will not destroy it for the 20's sake. 
What are you on about? I'm trying to tell you. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak yet, but this once. He's already spoken four or five times, but he said, Just one more time, peradventure, if there were ten found there, what would you do then? And God says, I will not destroy it for ten people's sake. If I find ten men that are righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, and these are two great cities, by the way. They're very populated. There are lots and lots of people there. If I find just ten, I will not destroy any of it for their sake. Well, as it stands at this moment, Sodom and Gomorrah is a pile of ash and sulfur. Does that tell you how many righteous people were in Sodom and Gomorrah? There were but one. And the Lord went his way. And soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place, and there came two angels unto Sodom at evening. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground and said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house. Come in and tarry all night and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your way. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. We'll stay out here. Lot's like, uh... Yeah, uh, this is a rough neighborhood, and uh, you're probably going to get your stereo stolen and your head bashed in. Come inside. Let me wash your feet and feed you, and you'll be safe within my walls. But if you stay out here, this ain't a good place. They're angels, by the way. And Lot knows that. And he pressed upon them greatly. He was telling them seriously, and they turned into him. And entered into his house. In other words, he would not stop pestering them until they agreed to come in. Because he knew what would happen if they stayed outside. They would be killed. And entered into his house. Or they, he thought they would be killed. There are angels. I don't know that they can be killed by men. But uh, Lot didn't want to take that chance. Anyway. Entered into his house. And he made them a feast. And did bake unleavened bread. And they did eat. But before they lay down, before they went to bed, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house around, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot. They're all circled around his house. He's surrounded, you understand, by people from every quarter of Sodom. There's a lot of people, hundreds outside of his house, surrounding the place. And they're calling, Hey, Lot, come out here. We got something to talk about. Lot is a little nervous now because this ain't going to end well. They called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Where are the men that came unto thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. These people want to rape the angels that were with Lot. 
They want to rape angels. That is what is being said here. And Lot went outside by himself, went out the door unto them, and shut the door after him, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Please don't do this thing. I prom I'm begging you, don't mess with these people. You don't know who they are. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known a man. They're virgins. Let me bring them, I pray you, out unto you, and you can do with them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore they came under the shadow of my roof. Now, let me stop right here because this is a point of contention for many people. They say, what kind of a man would offer his daughters, his young, innocent teenage daughters who are virgins up to a band of roving maniacs who are going to rape and beat them to death, most likely? What kind of a man would do that? How could Lot offer up his children to be banged by a bunch of maniac men? First of all, let me tell you, you don't know what you would do in that situation until your house is surrounded by marauders who will kill you. You don't know terror until your illusion is stripped away from you. You have no idea what you would do in that situation. Secondly, the two men that are in his house, Lot is fully aware that they are angels of God. They are celestial beings with the power to smite thee into oblivion. And Lot knows that. And he knows that if them men go into that house, everybody's dying. Everybody, Lot included. That's what smite means. Wiped off of the face of the earth. A better solution would be to solve the problem by easing the men's eagerness. They are horny, and they are amped up, they are charged up, and they're ready to do some screwing or killing one. And Lot knows that if he offers up his daughters, they may be hurt, but they'll survive. But these men, if they get in a tiff, everybody's dying. You have to understand that when you read this. These are celestial beings in his house with the power of God at their fingertips. And these men do not know what they are asking for. So in that circumstance, the lesser of two evils is to offer up the daughters. And I would never do this myself, but I can totally understand why Lot chose to do this. And by the way, he had no intentions of letting those daughters go out there. He's just trying to appease them while he thinks of a way to make this go away. You understand? This is a bit of subterfuge on Lot's part. He's not actually going to send his daughters out to these men. He's just telling them that to calm them down or to get them their minds off of messing with the angels. And they said to him, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn and he will needs to be a judge. Now, will we deal worse with thee than with them? 
and they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. Now they're pushing him back up against the wall. They are they're about to force their way into this house. And there ain't a whole lot Lot can do about it because they outnumber him 20 to 1 or probably more than that. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. So the angels saved Lot from just about being crushed by this mob going in this door on top of him. They were just about to go through him to get in the house. But the men pulled him back in the house, shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. That's what an angel can do, by the way. He blinded them all, the angels did. Made them where they couldn't see anything. Now they can't find their way to the door to get in the house. See what I'm saying? And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides? Son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. I'll translate. The angels spoke to Lot and said, Is there anybody else here with you in this city? Or are you alone, you and your daughters? Do you have any sons or son-in-laws or brothers or daughters or kinfolks or friends, any righteous people with you? You need to get them now and get out of this city tonight, now. Whatever you have, get it out of the city. Bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake to his son-in-law, sons-in-law, which were married, his daughters. Remember, he said his daughters were virgins? turns out they're not they're both married and they both have husbands in Sodom they're probably out working so you understand this is the Bible telling you that what he said earlier was a subterfuge he was just trying to appease the crowd and get their minds off of maiming and murdering and raping the angels turns out his daughters are not virgins and they're not teenagers and they're both married they may be teenagers, but they're both married. And Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get up. You got to get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. They didn't believe him. They thought, what a crazy old coot. Number one, there's no Lord, and number two, he's not going to destroy the place. What are you talking about? Oh, yes. Even in those days, there were atheists. And these son-in-laws chose their lot in life. No pun intended. When the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot. Okay, now, it's time to go. 
You've wasted enough time prancing around and trying to get people to come with you. Now it's time to leave. Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. Get out right now, because we're about to destroy this place, and if you don't get out now, you're going to be destroyed with them. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hands of his two daughters. And the Lord, being merciful unto him, they brought them forth and set them without the city. They took them physically because they didn't want to leave. They grabbed them and physically took them out of the city and put them outside of the gates. That's God being merciful because he could have just destroyed them. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life. Run for your life, and do not look behind you. Neither stay thou in all the plains. Escape to the mountains, lest thou be consumed. Don't stop. Go that way until you reach a mountain. Get out of here now. Don't even look back. If you even stop to look back, it'll get you. Keep moving. And Lot, being the obedient person that he is, said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil take me and I die. What is this man on about? He's saying, oh, no, 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 no. You've already proven that you like me. You saved my life. You brought me out of the city. Now, I'm not going to run my old ass up into that mountain. Somebody might kill me on the way. That's what he said. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto the city. He's talking about Gomorrah, I believe. I can go over there. And it is as a little one. Oh, let me escape there instead. Is it not a little one, a little city, and my soul shall live? What he's asking is, can I go to that city over there instead of running all the way to the mountains? Can I just go over there and survive? I don't think you understand what's happening here, Lot. I told you to run and not look back now because the hail is coming, baby. And if you don't get your ass moving to that mountain now, you're going to die. No, you can't go to that other city. We're going to destroy that. Or you'd like to help out and, something and clear up or enlighten you on? Show me Sasquatch. Whoa, here's another one. Blessings. Does it make things easier? It makes the... That's... Say. Make things possible. Make your life available. There are... Or work or things. And you can bless people as well as God can bless you. As Quartz says, faith. There's an interesting subject about faith in the book of Hebrews. And you should check that one. What faith is. This is your. Well, hello. So, this is as church as it gets.
what we do here is analyze the text and try and understand the meaning thereof. That's it. I'm not trying to convert you. I'm not trying to convince you that I'm right and you're wrong. I'm not trying to save you from going to hell. That's between you and God. What I'm trying to do is educate and be educated on the subject matter. And that's all. And I hope that that's a good thing. Show me Sasquatch says, good to meet you, George. And then they share a chuckle. The people are the church, not the building. Amen. You're doing a good job, man. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Fellowship is a must. Well, that's what we're doing here. And that's the reason I have a Q&A at the end of every video that I do, because I want to get to know you. I want to see where you're at. I want to answer any questions you may have and maybe ask a few myself. It, it leads to better thought. You can only think if everybody is in cooperation with that thought. That's how brilliant things occur. Shared. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Hit that like button while you're at it. It does help. I know it's silly, but it helps. Like and share. Thank you, sir. And by the way, the people that were here, it's uh, their birthday and their for the shelf. And they are historical books, correct? Never stopped learning. Never stop learning. You learn every day. LOL, joking, of course. Look, I, there's a in the Venn diagram of things that are to know, I have a very tiny slice of that. I don't know. There's a whole lot of this I don't know, but I'm getting there. Anyway, um, all these books are historical books. They were written by many of the same people. They were written in conjunction with the books that are written of the Bible, and at the time they had purpose. Now it's not necessary for us to know those things, I would imagine, why they're not in the Bible. If God can inspire the Bible to be written, I'm certain that he can inspire it to be edited. So ignorance is not a sin. Thank God for that. So, you have to believe something. I choose to believe that the King James Version of the Bible is the inspired Word of God that He promised that all mankind would have access to. And if you look around, it is the most accessible book in existence. So I believe that's it. I believe it's exactly what God said it was. Therefore, I teach it. Not necessarily my choice, but it is my calling, and I accept, and I'm doing the best I can by it. I just met you, and I appreciate you. Thank you, sir. I just met you, and I appreciate you, too. You've already done more for me than some people that's been coming here the whole time. Go back and watch some of your videos. Please do. Same here. King James Version, all the way. I do not teach from other books, especially those NIVs and the, you know, altered books, because those books are not the Bible. Those books are copyright altered versions of the Bible to be sold and to profit off of. And if you know anything about copyright law, in order to put out a work that is similar to another work, it has to be at least 25% different than the previous work in order to be sold without copyright infringement. 
That means 25% of the Bible is not there or correct in the revised versions. Don't read them. They will mess your mind up. God invented sexualism. I think he can put the standards on how it works. I agree. Society has changed. God's word has not. Amen. Historical books are still good for factual evidence. The Romans admitted that Christ's tomb was empty by giving their explanation of how it happened. Amen. Brandon said, I'll subscribe. Reasoning together is like the Bernies, or however you spell it. <laughs> Bernies? I don't know what you're talking about. But yes, reasoning is always a good thing. I have a friend that has a Bible from 1890. It's a foot and a half thick. That's how much they've taken out of it. Yes, sir. He might have one of those Ethiopian Bibles. That may be what that is, an Ethiopian Bible, because they've got a few books that we don't even have, like the book of Maccabees. And they include Enoch in that book also. However, unfortunately, the Ethiopian Bible is not a good translation. It's from bad stock. The only book I trust is a book I can trace back to Antioch, where Paul was writing. Right? That's as far back as we can trace it, because beyond that, we don't have any of the original text left. We only have copies that were sent from priests and such, and between churches. So, the only version of the translation, there's three legs of the translation that you can trace, the Gutenberg, King James, so forth. So I did a video on it years ago. You can go back and find it. It's in the in the in the library somewhere on this channel. But uh it explains, it lays it all out, all three different legs of the, the translations and why I come to believe the King James Version is the inspired word of God, because it is the truest to the original that we have in existence. It's not perfect, don't get me wrong, but it's as close as you're going to get. There's nothing else on earth that comes even close to, to being what was written originally. 501C Church, the one I have attended, has a full band in the words behind them on the wall for everyone to sing. Well, that sounds awesome. I am not a 501c, but I do take donations if you happen to be feeling froggy. Mark, and we have a translator better than a word ever written. The Holy Spirit, the great translator, translated beyond the description. deception. Amen. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. The Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, they're just part of the Bible, including the book of Isaiah. And most of them fragmented. The Baronies searched out truth instead of just accepting anything they heard, like most people do today. Most don't 
read and study. They just accept what a preacher says. Amen. I always tell you don't listen to any man, including this one. Allow me to be your guide, but check what I say. Make sure I'm telling what's right, because I can be wrong just like anybody else can be. Never listen to a man. You listen to the Father. I'm just a mouthpiece for the Father, but you listen to his words, not mine. I'm really tired of Nibiru and the Anunnaki crap. Well, there's some wisdom in that. You got to look hard for it, but it's there. Those things did occur. Those people were here. It just ain't quite like they have it on ancient aliens. There's a little bit missing there. A little bit. But that's a really good uh, show to watch if you just turn the volume all the way down and just look at the pictures. You'll see all kinds of things you never saw before. It's fast, fast, fascinating. What do you think about the Mandela effect in the Bible changes? I've never seen it change. I thought Mandela was a king of Africa or something, I didn't, or prime minister of Af Africa. I didn't know he was affecting things. I know what it is, but I don't believe it. I think we just pronounced it wrong. It's Baron Stain Bears, always has been, always will be. Mark, I think the Anunnaki are references referenced in the books of Enoch. Seriously, look into it. I'm not 100% sure, but pretty sure. You're on the right track there, Just Kip. What is the lion and the lamb or the lion and the wolf? Hmm. I would say lion and the lamb. That's what it sounds right to me. Yeah, what they're calling the Anunnaki, the, the people from outer space, the star gods or whatever they're calling them, those are fallen angels that they're referring to. They just don't know it. They think they're aliens or something. But they were fallen angels that came down on Mount Hermon, and they did propagate. They did mate with people, and they did have children, and those children were part celestial in being and were giants, some of them. Some of them were wicked. All of them were wicked, but some of them were really, really nasty. And uh, you can read all about that in the pages of the Bible. It's there. I'll point it out when we get to it. All right. There is always some truth in everything. Yes, there's a grain of truth in all legends. That's where legends come from. <laughs> you know the mythos of the ancient Greeks? The, the pantheon with all the big gods and all that? Those were real too. Those are the offspring of the fallen angels. They call them titans and then demigods, or titans and then gods and then demigods and then warlocks and then soothsayers and then psychic people and then slightly impressionistic uh, people and then, uh, what's the word, uh, empathic people and then people with a lot of talent and then movie stars. See how that goes? It's like breeding it out of them. 
every generation gets a little less powerful. I've been down every rabbit hole. I bet you I could point out a couple you hadn't been down. Timothy Albino, L.A. Marzulli, are good ones to listen to about the Nephilim and such. I watch L.A. Okay, in California, dreaming the song. It used to say, I get down on my knees and begin to pray. Now it says, pretend to pray. Hmm. That's that Mandela effect, I guess. It says, couch in the Bible instead of couch was invented by a guy named James. Couch. How's that possible? Mm, you got me. If it ain't in the Bible, I don't know much about it. And there are always two views of the same thing. A worldview and a biblical view. Both views tend to differ or tend to offer different sides of the same coin. Sometimes. Sometimes they're downright opposite each other. Most of the time, whatever the worldview is, is upside down compared to whatever the Bible view is. The Bible view is absolutely the correct view of things. So, take that for what you will. Alright, boys and girls, it is 11 o'clock and I gotta get up at 5 in the morning and go to work, so... I love you all with all of my heart. I truly, I do. I mean that. I hope you all come back and hang out with me in the future. The next Bible study will be Sunday, but you can come hang out Wednesday and Friday. We'll hang out and talk about whatever the world we want to talk about. Take care of yourselves and each other. Thank you so much for listening to me and, and paying attention as I ramble on about the little things that I've figured out and think I'm special for knowing. <laughs> Anyway, I appreciate you. Won't you guys do me a favor? When you go out into the world tomorrow, be nice to somebody. Just be kind. Go out of your way to do something nice for somebody. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what you do. Help an old lady across the street. Give a bum a dollar. Hold the door for somebody. Smile as you walk by somebody. Just be nice and watch it change your life from the inside out. I promise you it will. Not only will it change your life, but everyone around you will see your inner light begin to shine and they're going to want to be part of it. They're going to come up and ask you. It will open doors you never knew were there to open. Just be nice and I promise you it'll work out. Take care of yourselves and each other. God bless you. God keep you. Come back and see me soon. Thank you so much for watching. Mm -hmm.